Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you have a Bible, you might be opening it to the book of Nehemiah, which is found in the Old Testament. It's at the end of the the books of history there. And last week we began this series where we're looking at this, this interesting book that comes at the end of the history of the people of God in the Old Testament. And so last week we learned that Nehemiah, uh, the, the man that this book is centered around, he is a man of character. He uh, receives some bad news concerning his homeland and, and the people there. They are suffering, and the walls of that city, they have not been rebuilt. And all these years later, it's still a city that is ravaged by war, a city that is full of poverty and despair. And so Nehemiah mourns when he hears this news. And he goes to God in prayer and he confesses his sins, but not his sins only. He confesses the sins of his family and he confesses the sins of his people. He repents of behavior um, of his ancestors and he commits to uh, building something good. And so he plans to return to Jerusalem even though that that means that he's going to have to leave this comfortable life that he's now enjoying where where all of his needs are taken care of and and going on a journey where the outcome is sort of uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. And so when you get to chapter 2 in Nehemiah, several months have passed and nothing has happened. Nehemiah is still working for the king, and he's still longing to return to his people. And as he is serving the king as as a cupbearer, the king recognizes one day that that Nehemiah is sad. And so this lets us know a few things. It lets us know that Nehemiah must have been a joyful person most of the time. But all of a sudden, the king recognizes a change in his demeanor. You'll remember uh, from chapter 1 that that Nehemiah responds to the bad news concerning Jerusalem with sadness. And he mourns what is wrong and he makes up his mind that he's going to do something about it. He is going to right the wrongs that have taken place over many, many years. And we learn that God is at work in all of this. He answers Nehemiah's prayer from chapter 1. And what the king does, King Artaxerxes, he allows Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem. But more than this, he gives him a letter from the king, which is going to ensure his safe passage. And he also gives him timber for the project. And so Nehemiah grounds his work in his relationship with God, and we see that God is active in Nehemiah's life. We learn more about Nehemiah's prayer life in in, in chapter 2. In chapter 1, you'll remember that he prays this this very thoughtful prayer of repentance. In chapter 2, he prays in the midst of a conversation that he's having with the king. And so notice what takes place in verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And so the Nehemiah and this king, are, they're, they're having this conversation, and the king asks him, What do you want? 
And at this moment, it says that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And so what kind of prayer is prayed in the middle of a conversation? It's not a long prayer like we find in chapter 1. It's not a prayer that is prayed out loud. And so what we discover in this passage is that Nehemiah is carrying on this internal conversation with God. And he talks to God when he doesn't know what to do. And he goes to God when he's in trouble or he needs something. And so Nehemiah doesn't just have a strong prayer life. He has this relationship with God. And God is on his mind and God is in his thoughts continuously. When there's a problem in his world, he doesn't turn to the, the opinionated counselors or the, the, the masses to see what they believe or what they're saying. He turns to God. And he truly cares about what God would do. We live in a complicated world just as Nehemiah did. We live in this world that's filled with all kinds of noise. And anytime something happens, we are inundated with opinions. And it's all over TV and it's all over social media. And in this environment, we need to train ourselves to consider God first. When something happens in our lives, people around us, they they have opinions and they're eager to share them with us. They want to tell us to do this or that. And again, we need to train ourselves to consider God first. How would God think about this? What would God want me to do in this situation? And if we're unsure, we need to go to him in prayer and ask him as Nehemiah does here. It could be that we need to spend some meaningful time in prayer. We need to think through the words that we are saying. We need to consider what repentance means and the the various ways that that we need to change the direction of our lives. This is what he does in chapter 1. Or it could be that we're in a, a situation where we don't have much time. We might be right in the middle of something, might be right in the middle of a conversation, and we need help. And if that's the case, we can imitate Nehemiah here in chapter 2. We can offer an internal prayer that might just be a sentence or a phrase. God, help me. God, be with me in making this decision. God, guide me in this moment. Our prayers don't always have to be filled with many words. God hears simple prayers. He hears the prayer of Nehemiah, and and, uh, he's with him in this crucial moment. And so after all of this, Nehemiah goes. He begins this long journey to his homeland. And once he arrives, once he gets there, he rests for three days. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he gets up and he begins to inspect the walls of the city. And Nehemiah has a vision and a plan for rebuilding the wall. 
And we need to understand that good things don't happen on their own. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but if we don't have a vision and a plan for executing them, then they're not going to happen. Think about how many groups, how many individuals, how many churches go year after year with good intentions but no results. People want to do good, and people talk about doing good, but then nothing happens. Nehemiah is a man of action. He has a plan, he has a vision, and he is setting out to make a difference. We've seen this over the years in our congregation. We, uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we just celebrated the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Harvey. And when, when that happened, it happened all of a sudden. We didn't know what we were doing all the time in the midst of that disaster. But we had a vision of helping our community. And we were committed to that vision. And because of that, much good was done. Several years ago, um, Carissa had a, had a vision of feeding kids who are uh, kids in need in our community. And, and she and a few others, they, they came up with a plan. And because of that, we have helped many kids over the years through our Hands of Hope ministry. And, and that ministry has led to other things. It's led to Thanksgiving meals. It's led to uh, providing uh, Christmas presents to kids. And so we know what it's like to come up with a vision and a plan and then to execute it and do something good. We've done it before, and we've made a difference in this community. However, there's always this temptation to get comfortable. There's always this temptation to stay in Babylon when help is needed in Jerusalem. After all, Babylon is familiar, it's safe, it's comfortable, and going back to Jerusalem, that's a risk, and it's going to cost something, and it's not going to be easy. Doing what is good and what is right is not always a walk in the park, in fact, often it's not. There are challenges, but this is what we're called to do. And in fact, it's not just what we're called to do, it is what makes life meaningful. An abundant life, a God-infused life, is not a life on the sidelines. It is a life in the arena. It is a life of action. It is a life where, where, where things don't always go our way, but we keep doing what God wants us to do. We keep saying yes to God. Nehemiah is a, is a good man who does the right thing, but it's not very long before he encounters opposition. And so notice what happens at the very end of Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Let's do this good thing. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. 
And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanbalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. There are always going to be people who find fault with what you're doing. No matter how good it is, no matter how right it is, uh, think about what Nehemiah is doing. What he's doing is not easy at all. It demands sacrifice. It demands hard work. It demands this journey, all these risks that he's taking, all these things he, he's doing. And on top of all of this, he faces criticism. And so don't be surprised when you set out to do something good and, and, and people start finding fault with what you're doing. In fact, we saw this a few weeks ago when we were on Sunday morning in our class in, in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus was talking about his generation. And he was talking about how people were responding to his ministry and also the ministry of John the Baptist. And this is what he says about the generation. He says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is pointing out how people found fault with the ministry of John the Baptist, and they also found fault with his ministry. They criticized John the Baptist for fasting, and they criticized Jesus for showing hospitality. And if people can find fault with the Son of God, a sinless man, then what makes us think that they're not going to find fault with us? This is the way of the world. It's how it was in Jesus' time. It's, it's how it was in Nehemiah's time. And it's the way the world is today. There will always be critics, even when what we're doing is for the good of others. And we shouldn't be surprised when this happens. And Nehemiah's critics, they did not ease up. It wasn't just criticizing him one time. They kept at it over and over. They kept tormenting him up until the wall was finished. We read about this in chapter 6. You can skip over there. It says, Sambalot and Geshem, some of the same people, sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekephorim in the plain of Ano. But, he says, they intended to do me harm. And so how does he respond? And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent, sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. They just keep on and keep on and keep on. What are we to do when we're faced with critics? We're to do what Nehemiah does. Just keep on doing good. Don't get distracted and, and drawn away from the good that you're doing. 
Don't get discouraged and give up. Don't get caught up in meaningless arguments and debates. Nehemiah says, I don't have any time for that. I'm doing a good thing here. Why should I stop doing this good thing and go and talk to you? Know that others who came before you face the same challenges. Jesus was criticized for his ministry. Keep doing good. Keep doing what is right. And don't pay attention to the the people who want to tear apart a good work. So Nehemiah chapter 3, if you're reading this, it's an interesting chapter. And uh, uh, it reads sort of like a genealogy. And when you get to it, some people might just be tempted to skip over it. You know, it's, the, it's a list of names. And so what is exciting about a list of people who lived long ago, people that, that we no longer know anything about? And we may not recognize the names in that chapter, but I want to suggest that it's an, it's, it, this list is an important part of the story. The book of Nehemiah begins with one man who says yes. While everyone else is sort of unsure or worried about rebuilding, um, you know, what it might cost, what it might require, you know, they're contemplating all these things, Nehemiah says yes. He says, I'm in God. I will go. I will rebuild. I will do something good. And when he gets to Jerusalem... He doesn't make a big deal about his plans. In fact, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, uh, Nehemiah says, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah doesn't spend a lot of time talking about his plan. He just does it. And and while people are trying to, to make up their minds about what to do, Nehemiah does. Well, while people are criticizing him, Nehemiah does. And in the midst of all this uncertainty and criticism, you get Nehemiah chapter 3, which is this list of names. And so what is chapter 3? Why is it here? Well, it is all the people who see what Nehemiah is doing And they choose to join him in building something good. And so when you begin to build something good, you are likely to be criticized. It's going to come. But you're also going to be joined by others. Goodness rubs off on others. People want to be a part of building something good. They they want help. They want to make a difference. And this doesn't happen at first. You know, in the beginning, Nehemiah is by himself. But as he commits to doing good, as he keeps on doing it, more and more people begin joining him. People just keep on showing up. And before long, you have 32 verses that are filled with the names of people who join Nehemiah in the work that he is doing. And so in Nehemiah chapters 2 and 3, we encounter two groups of people. 
The first group sees what Nehemiah is doing and they just point out everything that's wrong with it. And they're critical of his ideas and they're critical of his actions. And they do everything they can to discourage him and to get him to quit what he is doing. And there's this other group, the second group. And they see what Nehemiah is doing and they join him. They pick up their tools. They gather supplies and they go to the wall. They see Nehemiah doing something good and they want to do good also. And they form this community of people who is doing good and and, and much good is done because of them. It is within the walls of this rebuilt city that Jesus will one day come. And so what these men and women were doing was helping to prepare the way for Christ. Now, they had no idea that's what they were doing, but that's what they were doing. They were just being faithful to to what God put before them. They just said yes to this thing that was happening right in front of their eyes. And their work was important. They they made a difference. They, They made a difference for the people of their day, but they also made a difference for the the generations that would come after them. And you see, we don't always know the extent of the good that we are doing. We don't know how many lives that we might touch. We might see a life here or there in our day and age, but, but we don't know what's going to come after us. So you have two chapters... And you have two groups of people. And we have to consider what group do we want to be a part of? What do we do when we look around and we see good being done? Because you see, we can move in one of two very different directions. And we have a choice to make. We live in an age when things are being torn down all around us. We live in an age when people who are doing good are being criticized for it. And our world needs people committed to building something good. But no, before you get started, it's not going to be easy. Nehemiah faced obstacles in his day. We're going to face them as well. However, if we choose to be a part of what God is doing and building something good, we will not be alone. Others will come along. Others will will join us. Others will want to do good also. And we will be making a difference. And not just for people today, but for future generations, for our children, for our grandchildren. They will benefit from the fruits of our labor. The need is great. So how will we respond? What will we do with the gifts that God has given us? People are waiting. People are ready. 
They're waiting on someone with a vision and with a plan. They're waiting on someone to say yes. And so will you be that person? Will you say yes to what God has planned for this church? Will you say yes to what God has planned for this town, for this community? Will you build something that changes lives now, but also changes lives for years to come? Don't wait for the right moment. Don't criticize the good that others are doing. Just get up and build. And see what God can do with achievements that that we might consider small or insignificant. Because it's not about our abilities. It's about the God that we serve. It's about the God that we say yes to. Our abilities are limited, but his abilities are limitless. And so what are you waiting for? Choose this day to build something good and to make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the many ways that you've blessed us. We thank you for this congregation And we thank you for its people. We thank you for all the good that we've done in the past and how you've led us and how you've worked through us and how we've made a difference in the lives of others. And Father, I pray that we would not get comfortable, but that we would continue to plan and continue to have a vision for accomplishing your will here in LaGrange. May we follow your lead. May we look for opportunities to build something good in this community and to make a difference. We're so grateful for Jesus who came before us and died for us and forgave us of our sins. We pray this in his name. Amen.